0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: A killer romance. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town.
2: It was May 1958 at Heathrow Airport. Jerry Lee Lewis was arriving to London for a major tour. A British journalist asked the small girl next to Lewis one question. Who are you? She answered simply and honestly saying, I'm Myra, Jerry's wife. He was not yet divorced, and Myra Brown was his 13-year-old cousin. Today, we're going to talk about the seven wives of Jerry Lee Lewis. And there are parts that are obviously really bad. There's bad parts. But there's also a testament to this person who's still alive and the time and place of these marriages and these women's stories, which I hope there's not a ton out there for some of them. But you really get a sense of, of again, like I said, the time and place of things, what music was like, the culture of, of being married to someone like him, this highly successful, abusive, erratic musician. So I just want to say that before we even get started. Jerry Lee Lewis was a pioneer of rock and roll and rockabilly music. He was known by his concerning nickname, The Killer, which he used weaponized after a while. He was very erratic and would threaten many people, not just the women he was married to. Born in 1935 in Concordia Parish, Louisiana, Lewis began playing piano with his two cousins, Mickey Gilley, who went on to be a popular country music singer, and Jimmy Swagger, who you might know as a pretty iconic televangelist of the 70s. Recognizing his talent, Lewis's parents mortgaged their farm to buy him his first piano. Lewis started recording in the 50s in Memphis with his 1957 hit, Whole Lot of Shakin' going on, making him essentially a star, a breakout star. He followed that song with Great Balls of Fire, also incredibly famous, Breathless, and High School Confidential. I grew up listening to him on the oldies channel in my town's radio. You'd hear it all the time soundtracks to things. He, again, as someone who grew up in essentially the 90s, it was still such a big part of my musical childhood. After marrying his second wife, his 13-year-old cousin, which we will get to, to a little bit more in depth. After marrying his second wife, like we talked about, his 13-year-old cousin, he didn't and couldn't do much in the 1960s. His performances were getting more erratic, wildly energetic, insane, due to lots of things that we'll also get into. He went full country at the end of the 1960s and was known for covering classics and kind of a country style. By 2010, he had a dozen gold records in both rock and country. He had four Grammy Awards, including a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award and two Grammy Hall of Fame Awards. In 1986, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He has been described as rock and roll's first great wild man and one of the most influential pianists of the 20th century, which is huge and not untrue. But again, this is another reason I wanted to talk about him in that his personal life really cuts down a lot of his musical achievements. And we can talk about the artist separating the art from the artist all day. And it's where you choose to draw the line with that with him. So he was a Southern Pentecostal kid who became the masthead of the quote, devil's music, rock and roll. He also was married seven times and each marriage ended not, let's say. Jerry Lee Lewis's first wife was Dorothy Barton, the daughter of a preacher. He was just 16 and she was 17. Interestingly enough, he would say that Dorothy was 14 when she was actually 17. Manipulating age would later get him into some trouble. Their marriage lasted from February 1952 to October 1953, 20 months We don't really know what specifically happened to them, but he we can presume that he fell in love with someone else because he literally got married again right after Dorothy Barton to Jane Mitchum. 23 days before his divorce from Dorothy Barton was final, he married this woman. People doubt its validity because of this, but whatever. They married in October 1957. After four years, Lewis filed for divorce. The couple had two children, Jerry Lee Lewis Jr. and Ronnie Guy Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis Jr., a musician, a drummer, actually, who was in his father's band, struggled with mental health and addiction like his father and would die at age 19 after overturning his Jeep while he was driving and broke his neck. Now let's move on to Lewis's third marriage, which would occur five months before his second divorce was finalized. He really just gets into them one after the other on December 12th, 1957. Everybody warned Lewis not to get married and to, if he's going to get married, do not take his wife on tour with him. It wasn't public yet, but after Lewis touched down at Heathrow Airport, British journalists swarmed him asked him who this woman was next to him. And woman, again, being very generous, she was a girl. She answered, I'm Myra, Jerry's wife. They realized that he had married his 13-year-old cousin once removed, Myra Gail Brown. Lots of problems, obviously. Uh, 22-year-old Lewis was then asked how old his new wife was immediately after she had revealed her name and her relationship to him. He lied and said she was 15, Of course, the truth came to light very soon after. They did some digging, and the press hounded Jerry and Myra mercilessly. Fans were outraged. The tour was canceled after the first three shows didn't sell well, and those who attended harassed Lewis, booed him from their seats. They made his tour a hellscape, and he deserved it. In a later interview, Myra, now Myra Williams, reflects on that moment in her life. She says, The only problem was that no one told me anything. So when a reporter asked me, Who are you? I was the one who let the big old cat out of the bag. It was a perfect storm. It couldn't have happened at a worse time at a worse place. Everything just came together and a major explosion happened. There's one photo that we'll put up. Uh, It's it's what I think about when I think about this marriage. It was taken in May of 1962, right before Myra and Louis... We're about to leave for London. It's of Myra, and she's on the runway at Heathrow. And they, she has a big, big girl teased haircut, like a woman of that time, like a very fashionable haircut. And she has this little mink stole and these little, like, kitten heels. And she has shopping bags and a little Bible with her, too. And she looks so young. And she's, like, looking away from the camera. She's, like, looking like a girl trying to be a grown man's wife. And it's incredibly haunting. Before heading back to Memphis, Jerry Lee held a press conference at the London airport boasting about his houses and cars and accusing the British of being, quote, just plain jealous. Went very quickly from getting paid $10,000 a show to playing for $100 at a club. Radio stations stopped playing his songs and most of Lewis's industry friends distanced themselves or broke ties. Except for Elvis Presley, who, unsurprisingly, voiced support for the marriage. Myra later said she'd never shaken off the Jerry Lee Lewis's child bride stigma, though Lewis and some of his friends talking about it after the fact stand by the fact that he didn't think that he did anything wrong. In the South, it wasn't super uncommon to marry a cousin, but nobody could really ignore the fact, even if you were cool with that, that she was 13 years old. It took Lewis almost a decade to rebuild his career, rebranding himself as a country star. The marriage ended in 1970, 13 years later, which is... A lot of years to be married to him. Here's Myra again. It was something that marked Jerry for life. We kept thinking every year, every six months, that it was going to go away. They were going to stop talking about it, and it just didn't happen. But it brought me and Jerry very close. We had 10 incredible, wonderful years together after that. We were like a little camp that had been attacked by an enemy, and we held strong to each other and said, regardless of what they do, we're going to keep fighting. Jerry's fame and money went down to almost nothing. It was very turbulent for 10 years, but it was the happiest years of our marriage. So that is troubling. Just the idea of all of this media scrutiny bringing this codependent, captive relationship between this man and this girl together even further. I want to emphasize that this was the only experience of marriage Myra knew. So if she talks glowingly in interviews, which she does, she actually after the fact she says a lot of really positive things about their marriage. But a detail that is also very haunting and not unlike the picture is after getting married, she joined back up with Lewis to start married life with him. She didn't know what to put all of her possessions in. So she packed them into the only thing that could contain her clothes and things, which was a giant closable dollhouse. So again, picture this like 13 year old girl carrying around this dollhouse to go meet up with her new husband who is getting young himself, but still like legally a man to be his wife. So in 1970, Myra Brown filed for divorce on the grounds of adultery and abuse. Apparently, they only spent three nights at home together throughout their whole marriage. Again, despite what she may have said, because of his hectic touring lifestyle. Lewis was rumored to struggle with addiction and was cheating left and right. Brown charged that she had been, quote, subject to every type of physical and mental abuse imaginable. In fact, he had threatened to kill her on multiple occasions. And there's a lot of pieces of that. So you you look at her testimony after the fact being kind to him. And then you look at other accounts. One time Jerry surprised Myra at 3am and complained that there was no dinner. He entered the bedroom and thumped Myra three times on the noggin to demand why she didn't arise to serve her master. Startled from her sleep, she lifted her arms to ward off his blow and struck him. He grabbed her fist and beat her face black and blue. Look, Phoebe, Jerry said to their seven year old, your mama has gone crazy. She's hitting herself in the face. To deal with that and to be with someone who would do those types of things would be obviously horrible. And 13 years is, is a lot to think about. They had two children, Phoebe Allen-Lewis and Steve Allen-Lewis, who tragically, Steve Allen-Lewis died at three years old. He drowned in their swimming pool. Shortly after her divorce, and I'm sure a surprise to like everyone on the planet, Brown married Pete Melito. He was the detective she had hired to trail Lewis and document his infidelities. They moved to Atlanta together. They actually divorced soon after that. And she married a real estate agent named Richard Williams in 1984. And the two run a Century 21 office in Duluth, Georgia together. So she seems happy, at least, uh, after all of that very early trauma. But we're going to take a break from that trauma right now.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take.
1: This episode is sponsored by Morning Mugshot. Do you like coffee in the morning? How about true crime? Do you listen on your commute to work? And are you in need of a few new besties? If any of this sounds appealing to you, then we have the perfect recommendation for you. Rise in crime with Morning Mugshot podcast. The show is hosted by Kelsey and Taylor. The two of them bring a new episode of all things true crime each and every Friday. The episodes are the perfect length to get you to work and honestly, the best way to kick off your weekend. At the end of the episode, they share their thoughts, feelings, and opinions on the case and open it up for you to give yours. You can find them anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yes, even here. Check them out on Instagram for even more content at Morning Mugshot Podcast. And be sure to join them this Friday. Hi, hello, how are you? Hello. I think it's time for everyone's favorite part. Your mm-hmm. new favorite part. Mm-hmm. Reading Apple Podcasts. Oh, really? Reviews. People
2: love that, huh? Yes. Wow.
1: Somebody messaged at somebody uh, on Twitter his name was I said it was Brian and it was actually Brad so oh sorry how Brad. dare you my bad it was a good review too when I
2: oh man I, I, shouldn't,
1: I shouldn't have uh, Oof, we can't even be good to... to the people who are leaving good reviews no uh, love this podcast I really love your chemistry and storytelling format. it's fun. I feel like I'm chilling with you the stories are fascinating and I can't get enough great job around from rens eleven u s. And A.
2: Oh. I hope they're enjoying this one.
1: F the haters. Ooh, yeah, I went there. Oh. Actually, I didn't go there. C Bartlett did. I've listened to the most of the back catalog and really enjoyed the true abandoned places and things, along with murder mysteries. I love the banter between you two. It makes it seem like you're not just reading facts off of paper. Pooh paste.
2: Oh. One star.
1: Del- yeah, listen. Take the good, take <laughs> the bad. Okay, okay. You take them both. Okay. there you have Pooh paste. <laughs> Can't understand how these two midwits...
2: Midwits?
1: Yeah, like midwives not like and midwits? a nitwits. dimwit
2: or a halfwit?
1: I think midwives and dimwits. Oh,
2: you, we don't have the skill set to even come close to being a midwife. Now,
1: to pass judgment upon anyone, they make a podcast and are failing badly. Now, not to be a midwit, but if we're failing <laughs> badly, that means we're succeeding so yeah. if we're bad at failing, Yeah, that means not we're not to mince words, but not you're bad failing. at words. Yeah, Is that judgy? Maybe yes. a little bit. Yes. They see themselves as better than anyone else. Save your time and listen, <laughs> to listen, you do, <laughs> listen to the wind blow. This is what you should do.
2: Listen to the wind blow. Hopefully
1: we're back for you. Listen, I get something you can you listen to people and... That opinion is totally valid. If you hear that and you hear judgment, like, why are you talking about these murderers in a negative way, Rebecca?
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. Give him a chance. I don't
1: know if they're like, <laughs> yes, probably are passing judgment on people that have already been judged. they
2: totally um, in prison right now. Yeah.
1: Yes, probably true. Uh-huh. I, uh, but I will say is I do not think that we are and we don't think that we oh, are. Oh, we think
2: we're garbage. And you we're not being <laughs> ironic. It's like not a thing
1: where it's literally like we can see things. Things for what they are and that's why the, we're not the center of the it's the thing that's the center of the attention I don't know that's it's very strange people hear that but people might just hear, hear us and be like that's what I'm taking uh, away from it but it, are we failing in the world of podcasting it depends on your failing people listen and we've had a lot of people listen and if that's bad but I guess if there's like people like movies that you, oh, this is so bad. It still does well, but it's mm-hmm. still a bad movie. Maybe that's what we are. But they're not failing; they're succeeding as far yeah. as getting people to watch or or getting people to listen. And maybe the quality's not there. But I guess it depends on your definition of failure.
2: Okay. So that's paste.
1: that's from JD underscore FK. Oh. I would love to listen to this podcast. Oh, two stars. Okay, I'll take it. The story. I know you think. <laughs> I think that's flirting. Two
2: stars. <laughs> okay. A little flirt. I'm intrigued.
1: The stories are super interesting to me, and I I did try. There is so much banter, I just can't. I just want to hear the story. I don't need to hear the host chatting on about nothing. Just like a Seinfeld episode. Just like the most successful yeah. television show of all <sighs> time, depending on who you ask.
2: Yeah. That's pretty. Good, you know what I mean. <laughs> is this is this going to be the new theme of these reviews? We take them, and we spin them, yeah. to be positive. Well, I mean, Sideful is pretty. It's like it's like <laughs> I feel
1: like I'm listening to the the Beatles at like the height of their success. You no, but thank you. I understand people. Some people don't like that. That's why we put it in the middle. Mm-hmm. You go to patreoncom slash pod. Mm-hmm. We cut all of that out, or you just can fast forward the middle part. You yeah. made it easy.
2: Just- you can do that without any uh rhyme or reason and listen i've done that, that
1: too and i've done that too I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't go leave a bad review but i was like you know what i don't want to hear that oh, yeah, all the time and i'm happy to but i know they have to do it people are trying to keep these podcasts going and then you wonder i yeah. was like oh why did that podcast stop all we did was criticize it
2: <laughs> yeah all we just beat it into the ground <laughs> yeah
1: don't do this submission. please do that and when everyone's doing that it doesn't it doesn't seem So we just have to push forward but that was uh anguish corn Anquish now God. one more. This one's straight from Patreon. Uh-oh. A message <gasps> from our friend and new patron, Shannon.
2: Shannon, welcome. Hey,
1: Jason and Rebecca. I just want to message and say I'm really enjoying Ghost Town. Aww. I started listening a couple of months ago and got caught up recently. <gasps> That's a common theme: is the binging in, aspect. Yes,
2: I can't uh, even imagine listening to myself for that long. But I mean, I've all because yeah, Jason <laughs> is listening. in this. Yeah, but
1: people do tend to to. Binge. I mean, I do that to podcasts too, but I feel like that's something because you, when you go into the Patreon, there's also the bonus episodes, so it's mm-hmm. easy, and it, you can listen to them quicker. But you're not because you're not hearing all the this chit chat, the felt like banter, tear through them. I really don't get the bad reviews on iTunes. I won't say names, but there's one podcast in particular that I started listening to around the same time as yours. They go on long nonsensical rants. <laughs> they often don't know what they're talking about, and yet they get ludic- uh, ludicrously Ludicrously?
2: Ludicrously. Yeah, That's okay. right.
1: High reviews, and before COVID, they were doing live shows. It truly makes no sense to me, and yet I still didn't give a bad review because I didn't like it. I just wouldn't listen to it. I listen to a lot of podcasts that n- uh, covers the same subject matter, and yours does, and many people listening do. So the chatting perspectives are what makes the show different for me, which makes sense because a lot of people mm-hmm. will – a lot of people cover the same thing, and people who enjoy true crime or or weird history or whatever, they don't mind listening to f- – 10 different takes on the same crime and it's different takes or maybe there's new information... And it goes uh, goes on to say, the chatting perspective is what makes the show for me. And it's a shame that people don't understand that that's what this podcast is. If that's what you want this podcast to be, yes, we do. There's lots of podcasts there that get in, retell a story and get out. They don't need to be that way. Anyway, there's meant to be a pep talk. Hearing Jason talk about the bad reviews makes me so bummed out. And I miss Rebecca's dating stories. Oh, you guys are great. Me too. Keep up the good work. Shannon. Thank you, Shannon. Thank
2: you, Shannon. New patron. That was a good pep talk. I feel
1: yeah oh. i enjoyed right enjoyed being there just got that today thank you thank you to anyone who is listening anyone who is a patron mm-hmm. want to say hi to our government yes we got a little brandon gaddis hello we got a little ben forsyth hello. we got a little ashley Matson. Hi. we got we got some those are the mayors we got some governor chris witt mm-hmm. and you can get bonus episodes documentary episodes early access ad free patreon.com slash ghost town pod incredible incredible also I want to say thank you to anyone who's purchased a Cecil Hotel shirt.
2: Ooh. They've been
1: selling really very really cool. well. They're really cool. Mm-hmm. The proceeds go to the Skid Row Housing Trust. Right. So, it's the absolute lowest price I could sell them for and still have enough to donate to the housing trust. Amazing. So, it's the the absolute lowest price you I can actually sell it to people, have it sold to people, and still and have the shipping be free because it is mm-hmm. Amazon. We also have to deal with that, but proceeds are going to a good cause. And you can go to ghosttownpod.com slash store, or there is a link in the show notes. But thank you for that, and and if you if you want to uh, pick one up, hmm. pick ten up,
2: pick. 10 20 whatever shoot some money over to skid row please if you've
1: seen the documentary uh, you'll you'll it really shines a light on, on skid row and yeah i literally was just at the hotel cecil doing it well i'll yeah. tell you about when it comes out but uh, <laughs> but i was doing a thing at hotel cecil not a crime i was doing a. Th- yeah not a crime <laughs> not a crime but it, it definitely it, it, it's super helpful and yeah uh, especially
2: now it's not gotten better i just want to let everyone know this has always been a problem and it's worsened over 2020 covid it's 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 worse than ever so yeah. this is a good good cause get a shirt they're very comfy thank you i want to plug one other podcast that i've been really enjoying before we get back into some marriages it's called evil by design it's so good if you if you were interested in any jeffrey epstein stuff this is about peter nygaard the canadian jeffrey epstein he lived
1: he lived on the island right Yeah, nassau island and he was at odds with somebody, like he yeah, is in neighbor. battle. His neighbor. Yeah. Um, it I'm is familiar with him.
2: Fascinating. It just started. Obviously, don't stop listening to us. But put another one in your roster. Put it in the docket. Put it in your back pocket for when you're done binging our podcast and you want a little hellish m- men with too much money abusing others. That's something to think about. Speaking of men abusing, oof, ooh. Okay, I apologize. Okay, at this point, we're back. There's musician Jerry Lee Lewis, he has had three divorces, and we are just getting started. In October of 1971, Lewis married entertainer Jaron Elizabeth Gunn Pate. I couldn't find out a lot about her, but there were a bunch of Pinterest boards with pictures of the two of them. But they were apparently long estranged by 1979, with Lewis having a three-year live-in girlfriend around that time. Pate and Lewis were weeks away from their divorce settlement being finalized in 1982 when Pate mysteriously drowned in a swimming pool at the home of a friend where she was staying. They had one daughter, Lori Lee Lewis, born less than a year after they were married. Pate was just 39 years old, and while the authorities ruled it an accidental death, it would color Lewis's already tarnished reputation. He couldn't be bothered, though. He was being aggressively sued at the time for tax evasion. Um, And this also, this mysterious death of Pate of this young woman, who, again, very beautiful, uh, very charismatic, would also be fuel for um, one specific article that I got a lot of information from that talks a lot about perhaps he was a murderer. So again, it's it's all alleged, but there's certainly a lot of information to color perhaps the way you are viewing these divorces and marriages. Lewis's fifth wife was Sean Stevens, and it lasted 77 days from June to August 1983, and ended in her death. Sean Stevens was a waitress in and out of work who landed a job at DB's, a fancy nightclub in the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Dearborn, Michigan. The DB girls were a family and Jerry Lee Lewis performed for a week at the Dearborn Hyatt. He picked Sean out from among the girls. Sean's friend and fellow waitress, Pam, who was then hooking up with Lewis's tour manager, set the whole thing up. She told Sean that Jerry Lee wanted to take her to a party in his suite. Sean was pretty surprised. The first time she'd seen Jerry Lee Lewis, she told her mother, quote, mom, he's a lone man. He's about your age. You ought to come try and meet him. Instead, she, she went to his suite quote. I always thought Sean would be good for Jerry says Pam. She was so cute petite and he likes little women and she was so much fun to be with. I introduced them. I thought she was flexible enough to understand his moods. Spoiler alert. She was not flexible enough to understand his moods. Really. No one was though. The night that they met, he was really nice to her playing piano in his room for her and the DB girls. It was February, 1981. And Sean was only 23 years old. Lewis was 46. And then he invited her on tour, and they became a thing. Lewis liked that Sean was aggressive and protective of him. A friend and former DB girl, Beverly Lithgow, says, Sean told about one of the first times they went out to dinner down there near Memphis, and this girl came over to the table and asked for Jerry Lee's autograph. So he gave it to her. She came back again and started talking with him. So the third time she came back, Sean finally just grabbed her by the hair and pulled her down and said, he's with me tonight, leave him alone. Sean said Jerry Lee loved it because she was so forceful. So it's already a recipe for bad behavior and the rewarding of uh, aggression and complacency. The problems didn't end there. When Sean's sister Shelley came to visit them, at first Lewis was mad because he thought Shelley was trying to find her sister a younger man. And then he was mad that Shelley wouldn't have sex with him. Eventually, after accusing Shelley and Sean of stealing his jet ski – Sean left with her sister and shacked up with her ex-boyfriend, a factory worker named Scott, the guy that everyone says in every interview that I've ever read to do research on this piece, that she never got over this guy and wanted to be with him. And as soon as she started hanging out with Jerry Lee Lewis, he was like, I'm not going to take you back. You've made your bed and I can't get involved with this. But Jerry Lewis and Sean reconvened in July of 1981 when Lewis was in a hospital bed with most of his stomach gone and less than a chance of living. But they reconvened in July of 1981 with Lewis in a hospital bed. He had most of his stomach lining gone um, after a bunch of different stomach problems. They decided to, at that point, just get married. But at Sean's bachelorette party, a friend asked her why she was marrying him at all. She laughed Quote, because he has a big dick and a lot of money. The marriage was really bad. It was withholding, addled with drug abuse, violence, fighting. Once Lewis gave Sean a $500 Lhasa opso, but, but days later she had to give it up because Jerry Lee Lewis got jealous of it. He kept pressuring Sean and her sister for sex, withholding money and transportation, being publicly violent towards her and her family. Eventually, at a party, ambulances were given a directive that there was a, quote, unconscious party at the Jerry Lee Lewis residence. When they arrived, Jerry Lee was in another room and Sean was dead. The autopsy says her death was from a methadone overdose, which, according to many, sounded suspicious because she was not a partaker in drugs. She would smoke a little bit of pot. She would drink a little bit, but she wouldn't partake in that. Also, Jerry Lewis was in a different room. He had blood stains on him that they said came from his own cut from a finger, and they didn't really follow up with DNA. It was a lot of things. That didn't add up to a lot of people who are still discussing it at this point. Sean was buried in the Lewis family plot. Lewis's sixth marriage was, of course, disturbing in its own way. Carrie McCarver was only 10 when she met Jerry Lee Lewis at a Toys for Tots benefit in Memphis. And it was then that she decided she would marry him. When she was 18, Carrie re-met Lewis in a club and then they dated. But in 1984, 21-year-old Carrie McCarver married Lewis and the marriage lasted 21 years. They had a child, Jerry Lee Lewis III. This marriage, after lots of drugs and accidents and health scares, just fell apart. And it just felt like with this marriage, Jerry Lewis was getting older. She was okay with a lot of bad behavior. He was attempting sobriety at certain points. And she just wanted it really badly. Again, having this fascination with this celebrity at 10, it becoming an actualized relationship, and then her kind of buckling up for it. Says Lewis of his marriage to Carrie, quote, I didn't believe this marriage would work out at first. It was so hard for me to believe that it would. But I can see now with my straightening up and getting my act together, maybe that's the problem all along. I don't know. I wasn't really hanging in there. And I was dominating and overbearing and drinking a lot, taking pills. When you're doing that, alcohol will destroy you. So at least he's admitting that at this point in all of these marriages that he's doing something wrong. In 1993, Lewis moved his family to Dublin. A lot of people thought it was to avoid more issues with the IRS. He returned to the U.S. in 1997 after his tax issues had somehow just been resolved. Didn't really find a lot of follow-up information on that. In June 2005, they divorced, Carrie and Lewis, and we don't really know why, but I can just imagine she probably had enough Lewis married his seventh and final wife, I think, Judith Lewis, on March 9, 2012, at 72 years old. She was his caretaker, and they fell in love. The very next day, Lewis severed business ties with his daughter, Phoebe Lewis Lofton, who was his manager, revoking her power of attorney. In 2017, Lewis sued his daughter and her husband, Zeke Lofton, claiming that she owed him substantial sums of money. In the lawsuit, Lewis, his wife Judith, and his son Jerry Lewis III also claimed Lofton defamed them on Facebook. Lewis Lofton and her husband countersued, claiming Judith Lewis and Jerry interfered in their business relationship. In April 2019, it was ruled that the claims were barred by a three-year statute of limitations with the exception of some of the defamation stuff. Last year, Lewis turned 85 and he's still making music. He had a birthday live stream airing on YouTube, Facebook, and his official website. The live stream special called Whole Lotta Celebrating Going On featured Willie Nelson, Elton John, Priscilla Presley, and was hosted by John Stamos. And that's where we're at today. But again, there's still a lot of rumors going on about what happened with the two wives that died. Richard Ben Kramer is a journalist that I got a lot of the information for this episode about. And he, in his Rolling Stone article, really highly insinuates that Lewis had something to do with the death of his wives and that he absolutely had something to do with the destruction of the lives of many of his ex-wives that were still alive. It's very sad. And he just seems like one of those guys that he's just so not under, not like under the radar. Like he's on the radar. But we miss a lot of this activity because it's been so long. And because it just feels like his whole musical persona is nostalgic. I don't know.
1: The movie Great Balls of Fire, I think, really brought him back to public consciousness from what I remember watching movies and it was played by Dennis Quaid. And you know, we were talking about how Dennis Quaid also dates. Yeah, much younger, which I thought was an interesting kind of take. But Yeah, I think the thing of Jerry Lee Lewis, I mean, his the late nineteen fifties is his apex, but Mm -hmm. yet is he's just a the fact that he survived so much for so long, where other people haven't. In the eighties, he got most of his stomach removed, and he's like at now at eighty five, he's you can see my TikTok. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that people have given him a pass. Because I'll always have some kind of celebration with him, and he's yeah. really playing. He's got you know, some good songs, and he is definitely a pioneer. Like I said, he switched to country standards because mm-hmm. the British invasion came, and music changed, and yeah. where does he fit in Elvis's? You know what I mean? Elvis was not in vogue, and mm-hmm. he had to come back in, you know, was like '68 and and everything like that. So musically, people were like, "I don't want to hear rock E-bop, and roll. It, yeah. Things have changed. We want to hear something more aggressive." And then. Obviously, music has changed a lot, but people have given him uh, a huge pass. And never mind, never mind, just dating your very young cousin. Mm -hmm. There, that is definitely the one thing people remember. But the fact is, is that he's just not a, a good person to a lot of people. And yet, we're talking about the seven wives. But there's probably. Seven thousand other people he treated like garbage, yeah. and not everyone. Some people treat people like. I'm saying everyone has to be nice all the time, twenty four seven. But he seems to be like a routine bad boy that people yeah. are like, like. I said, "Elton John, hey, okay, cool, whatever, I'll, exactly. I'll help celebrate." Like you're part of
2: music history. All of a sudden, you get a total pass. Because all, it's also like when this stuff came to consciousness as being really bad, this is half true because obviously at the time people were like, she's 13 years old, holy shit. But at the time where it really felt like cumulatively bad and this person is an addict and they're abusive, he was already old. He was like not perceived of as the same amount of threatening as he might be in his early years.
1: And a nostalgia act, like you were saying, uh, know comes in and out of consciousness. But I think that movie Great Balls of Fire was one of those things that really brought him... And that movie, from what I remember, wasn't, like, it's scathing. It's mm-hmm. still a Hollywood movie. It's mm-hmm. not, like, a documentary that, you know, might put out now. Yeah. It, it's a pretty much, like, a kind of a glossed over, mm-hmm. he's he's bad, like, she's too young. And mm-hmm. it's like,
2: when did that come out? I was,
1: I'm going to get, I I really don't know. I'm going to say 1988, but I really have no idea. I'm usually pretty good at those things, but Mm -hmm. I remember it coming out and always, he's like a a iconic piano player, like bad boy, outlaw, like a little bit of an outlaw. But the fact that we started this in the late 1930s. And you're like, yeah, like he's streaming his thing on Facebook and yeah. w- w- wherever, a what Twitch, else? and it's gonna be <laughs> his official Twitch channel. Jesus and, Christ, and stuff like that. And yeah, a, listen, I, I, I can, I've separated the art from the mm. artist before. Yeah. There's a lot of musicians that are bad. There are a lot of them are bad.
2: A lot of them are bad. A lot, a lot of, of actors are bad. are bad. A lot of musicians
1: are bad. Lot- it's, it's you reconcile that in any way you do. But this dude, mm. but I don't know. Nobody really seemed to have stopped
2: him. Nobody <laughs> really. And it's not like. It, it was so cultural at this like we were talking about all the other you know musicians that you lump in with this dude and it's guys especially at that time were like allowed to be treated treating people like shit if you were not even a musician you know, you could be talentless and still a white guy and treating people around you like absolute garbage not
1: in la you can't that's not possible that's true
2: that's, <laughs> that's one place true. you can't do that's it very it's true but we gonna stop listening to great balls of fire <laughs>